once more welcome everybody. This we are focusing on uh, three things this year, which is uh, growth, grace, and say it again, growth. Say it like you believe it, growth. So we are focusing on that because we sense that this year we need to emphasize on these three areas and we will talk about them from different perspectives. And uh, we have said that one of the ways that a church grows is when we learn to become soul winners, when we learn to win people to the Lord. And well done to all of you last week. Well, didn't you just enjoy last week? Oh, come on. You're, you're not sounding like you enjoyed last week, okay? Yeah, yeah. I, I had... Uh, Muruti Given gave me feedback and he told me about the people who came back and the interesting stories uh, of the one lady. Anyhow, let's leave that one alone. Uh, But my wish and my prayer is that we will have a DNA in this church of loving people the way God loves them and of reaching out to people who need Christ. So this morning, I want to talk about being laborers in God's field. Being laborers in God's field. Each one of us, we need to be a laborer or a worker in God's field. So today, I have application forms. I'm here to recruit for God. And I'm hoping to get as many people applying as possible. Each one of us needs to be responsive to being recruited by God. God is in need of laborers. In Matthew 9, 36 to 38, it reads, When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. There's, there's plenty, plenty, plenty people who need to hear the message of the gospel. The harvest is truly plenteous. But then he says, but the laborers are few. Yeah. The harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Not many people want to involve themselves in God's harvest field. Sometimes churches, and I was talking about that in the first service, that one of the diseases that's that's afflicting churches, which becomes a sure sign that the church gets to be on the decline, is when people in the church stop becoming laborers. Where we stop winning people to the Lord. We stop having new people come into the church. We stop having young people coming in to be part and parcel of the church. I've been talking to some of the leaders that I associate with because many of us now, you know, we are pensioners. (laughs) (coughs) (laughs) We've already reached the 60-year age, which is actually you are a potential candidate. (laughs) And many of us, because Usually when you start a church, many people who join that church are more or less in your age group. The majority of them are more or less in your age group. And so as you age, they age with you. You see? And if you're not careful, you get to a point where the church is full of people who are your age, who are senior, and you're not having any new people coming in. And the problem with that is that then we end up just being insular, looking at ourselves, maintaining what we have and never challenging ourselves to reach out to younger people or reach out to newer people. And remember, Bazalan, whatever number we are, over time, as life unfolds, that number will decrease. If nothing else, through people going on to be with the Lord. So if there's 200 of us, uh, 60 years from now, 100 years from now, we will be less than 200. So there's a natural attrition that happens. And as a result, you note that very often in church history, churches that used to be very vibrant and strong and growing, over time, they they kind of uh, get to a point where they, 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 they stagnate. And then they start going south. And you look in that church, 
It's only filled with people my age group, you know, and older, and there's no young people there. And, and once you get to this age of ours, our biggest problem at our age is that, you know, you get set into certain patterns, and you, you, you get into maintenance mode. You don't want anything new. You know, you, you, know you don't. You don't. You don't want anything new. You, are, you want, you know, in your, in your young days, you are crazy. You want to try something new. You want to prove people wrong. So you venture out. And, and, and when you talk to your friends, because they are young, they are not tied up in all kinds of things. They are very responsive. Our age group, you try to invite them to the church. Already they have their own church, or they have their own grandchildren, or they have their own whatever. They are set in their ways. They tell you, no, I've been here for so long. Look at your neighbor who doesn't want to say anything. I said, he's telling the truth, even if you don't want to say anything. So, which means by it, so for us to be a multi-generational church, there has to be effort on our side to challenge ourselves that we are not going to get into stagnation. So we have to, we, we have to, even as leaders, agitate for change and challenge people. We cannot stagnate. We've got to do more. Tell your neighbor we cannot stagnate. Especially you, neighbor. Especially you. Especially you. So when you see a point where people no longer invite people to church, they don't bring new people to church, they no longer witness, they no longer tell people about the Lord, and there's nothing new going on in the church. And so we get set in church programs, get set in what happens in a church where it's predictable. You can almost look at your watch and say, I know now it's benediction time. <laughs> now, not that there's anything wrong with that, but there is a problem when we cannot embrace the dynamism of the move of the Holy Spirit who brings about new life. Yeah. And Jesus says, the harvest is plenteous. There's a lot of people out there who need to be saved. I mean, last week when we went to, you know, plant our church in, 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 in Centurion, I was so blessed by Mfundisimabas because he has a church not far from where we are. Before we bought a place there, you know, out of ethics, we do that. You know, we always will go to people we relate with. If they have a church within a certain radius, we'll go to them and talk to them. Say, look, we were thinking of having a church here. Is it okay? And it's not that we need their permission, but we think it's only proper. You know, because, I mean, if we're all of the same family from the same brand, you know. You know. And I went to him before we bought that place. I went to him, and his response was shocking. He said to me, oh, Bishop, you don't even have to ask for my permission. As my dad, you come here with the church. We need many of us here. That's a man who understands that the harvest is plenteous. Yeah. Our church growth shouldn't happen by membership transfer. No. Our church growth must come about as we in we anakazo. As we reach out to people who don't know Christ. And I'm going to show you several ways in which that can be done. And every one of us here, at least you can do one of those. There's six different ways. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, even if you don't know the full Bible, you may not know Greek or Hebrew, it doesn't matter. At least there is something that you can do. Tell somebody, you, there's something you can do, especially you, especially you who's not saying amen. There's something that you can do. So the harvest is plenteous. So Jesus says, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth more laborers. The prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ was for God to send laborers into the harvest field. In other words, God is in need of laborers. In other words, God is looking for laborers. And it matters so much on God's list of priorities that Jesus put this as a prayer item. God needs laborers. So as laborers, together with God, there's several things that we understand. Number one, we are laboring with God because we understand, we are laborers with God because we understand that man's soul is important. Man's soul is important. So I want to talk about the importance of man's soul in a short while. Please, I've got a lot of scripture references, if you don't mind. I won't read them. If you don't mind, please, there's a lot of them. 
But please do check them when you get home and read them. Just make sure. I'm not reading from First Imaginations, but from First Corinthians. <laughs> A, every soul has its origin in God. In other words, every person who lives on this earth, their spirit comes from God. And because of that, they are eternal beings. Because of that, they will live forever. Because of that, they will live beyond this earth. There's life on the other side of the grave. And the Bible does teach us that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And I know, you know, these days study hate speech. I'm just telling you what the Bible is saying. Heaven is the eternal rest of those who followed Christ and received Christ as Savior and Lord and served God and the patriarchs of old and the believers of old and the saints of old who have complied according to the God's demands. We know as New Testament believers that we need to receive Christ as Savior and Lord to go to heaven. And if we don't, unfortunately, there's a place called hell. It's not a nice place. The way the Bible describes it, it's just not a nice place. And I know sometimes when we speak and when we're angry with somebody, we say, go to H. <laughs> if you really understand what H is there, we wouldn't even use that so casually. Because those who are in hell, and as the Bible describes what hell is like, it's a place where you don't want to go. And that's what motivates us as those who are laborers together with God because we understand the soul of a human being is important. And if we don't reach them with the gospel, unfortunately their destiny is that of destruction. B, we also understand that God provides a way back for the soul that is lost. And by that is that there's a way back for them whilst they're still on this earth, not after they die, but whilst they're still on this earth. And Galatians 4 verse 4 and 5 tells us that. And 1 Peter 2 25 tells us that. And because the soul of a person is so precious, and because God has provided a way for the lost souls to come back, that leads me to point C, where God gave heaven's fairest jewel to rescue men. Our favorite verse that will be you know, looking at this entire week and next week and the weeks to come. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his best. God gave his fairest. Because that's the value of the soul. And D, Jesus therefore knew the price to be paid. And we see him in Matthew 26 from verse 37 wrestling in the garden of Gethsemane. Understanding the pain he had to go through. The cup that he had to drink. But he still went through with it. And went all the way to the cross to be crucified on the cross. To die. So that the souls of human beings can be saved. He paid a price. He paid the price. And so he, Matthew 27 from verse 26, we note therefore that Jesus didn't suffer to save what is worthless. In fact, he says in Matthew 8, 36 and 37, in Mark 8 rather, 36 and 37, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I tell you by so, if nothing else, let's do all we can to prevent people from going to hell. Like I was leading the prayer during the week when I was talking about, you know, that scripture in the book of Jude where it talks about plucking some out of hell. And I was using that analogy that we, still, we need to stand in the way for them and say, no, you're not going there. You're not dying. And we do that through prayer. We do that through witnessing to them. We do that through sitting on their case. Jesus says, what shall it profit a man? to gain the whole world and lose his soul. It's unfortunate that our world places so much value on things of the world. Now, nothing wrong with things of the world. We need clothes, we need food, we need cars. We, we need the world's things to get around. But none of the world's goods can buy us an eternal life. None of it. It's good for here, but it's not good for the 
world that is to come. So the soul of a human being is important. And that is why it's so important for us to busy ourselves with rescuing the souls of men. Now, we can't rescue them. We can only point them to the one who can rescue them. Can I hear an amen? So that's the importance of men's souls. Number two, we also understand as laborers, therefore, that there are two things we need to do when it comes to the souls of people. We need to plant the seed of God's word and we need to water the seed of God's word as we bring it to the people and as it reaches their soul. We are aware that we all have different responsibilities and different tasks. And in us, whether we plant or we water, at the end of it, God works with all of us. Because it's only God who can bring about the fruit. Only God who can cause the seed to grow and the plants to grow. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered. So as laborers in God's field, we have the responsibility of planting and watering. And I want to talk about that for a while. Think about this service today by here. So let me show you what this means on a practical level. Someone comes here for the first time, but they are not coming here because they came on their own. It's because there's somebody who invited them. And this somebody who invited them probably was very concerned about this person's eternal destiny and they put them on their prayer list. So you've been praying for them for a month, for two months, and, 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 and you've been inviting them and they gave you excuses and you, you kept at it and stayed with it until they said yes. Right? So you, you, you're doing your part. Right? So finally, they agreed to come and as they came on, as they arrived here, then the parking attendants were there to show you where to park. And this person says, they love me so much that they even give me my parking space. And as they walked out of the car and saw the yard and they saw everything in place, the grass is cut, there's no papers around. Uh, this is the labor of other people who were cleaning the yard and are doing something. Oh, come on, work with me, Grace Bible Church. Work with me, work with me. And then as they stepped in through the doors of the church, there was an usher there with a beautiful smile and a beautiful scarf. Look at this scarf today. Yeah, a beautiful scarf. Yeah, look how beautiful they look. Eh? Yeah, don't our ashes look beautiful? Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Eh? Look at them. Oh, what about Alecha? No, you look beautiful, man. And here they come with a beautiful smile and ash at you, you know, on the chair. And you sit there and, and, and praise God. The service started on time. As the music group came out. Uh, and the countdown with the guys who are doing all these technical things at the back and showing you on the screens and the countdown and the music group came up and as the first song was sung, this person's heart was touched by the song. Oh, come on, Barcelona, come on. And then, and then as worship came up and, and this person started worshiping the Lord, then by the time I came to preach, their heart is ready, 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 ready. Come on now, come on now. Come on now, everybody is doing something. Everybody is doing something. And as we preach, because we preach God's word, the Holy Spirit begins to fall on them and God begins to talk to these people about their lives. And as we make an altar call, they come forward and they give their lives to Christ. Can I hear an amen? And then after that, we usher them out and, they, and the counselors go and they counsel them and give them God's word. And after they have been counseled, you go back as the one who invited them. You hold them by the hand and say, from today, I'm going to work with you. I planted Apollo's waters, but it is God who gives the increase. Every one of us in this place, there is a role you can play. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Let's busy ourselves with God's agenda. Let us say yes to being hired by God, but we don't want any unions. No, I'm just joking. Some of you can't even take a joke. But let's say yes to being hired by God. So ours is to plant. Note what it, how it reads. It says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Note, Barcelona, God is waiting for us to do the planting, to do the watering. He will do the increasing. 
So if you don't do the planting, if you don't do the watering, God has nothing to increase. And this is what I wonder. People in churches wonder why their churches are not growing. You wonder why the church is not growing? Did you bring anybody? Did you bring anybody? You wonder why the church is growing? Did you bring anybody? You want the dominion to do it all by himself? No, this verse says we're all involved. There are those who must water. There are those who must plant. Everybody must do something. And it's only when everybody does something that God gives the increase. Oh, I see God giving the increase because we are going to be God's laborers. We're going to be God's laborers. All right. Note, Barcelona. In planting, we first have to make sure that the fallow grounds is softened. Okay? How do you soften the fallow ground? Through prayer, fasting, and having compassion. So, if there's someone whom you want to be reached with the gospel, you put them on a prayer list. You pray for them. For a year, for two years, you've heard me say, I got born again because my elder sister, Oslodin, prayed for me. And our other family members got saved because we prayed for them. My bishop and I, after we got married, we put the rest of our other family members on the list and they got born again because we prayed for them. But many of us, we don't pray for our family members. We don't pray for our friends. We don't pray for anybody. And then we wonder when, if they can't, why they're not responsive. So we soften fallow grounds through prayer, fasting, and compassion. All right? And then we get into planting mode. Once the fallow grounds have been softened, we start reaching out through evangelism or person-to-person witnesses. There are different styles of reaching people with the, with the gospel. Okay? I'll run through them quickly. There's many of them. I'm going to run through them. And as I run through them, there's, a, there's one of them that you can practice. And I tell your neighbor, your amen is averted. <laughs> See, church people, they don't want to hear about taking responsibility. See, if I had said God is here, he's going to give you a double portion of money. The first one to be in the front, God's going to give you a triple portion. Some of you, you would just jump over everybody and be here. But now that we're talking about you taking responsibility, you're giving me those half-hearted, dismissive amens. It's like, uh, uh, why are told? Are you ready? Yeah. Number one, we're talking about different styles of evangelism or of planting the word. Number one, we have what we call direct preaching. We see this in Acts 2.14, the example of Peter preaching to his countrymen. Like what I'm doing now. This is direct preaching. This kind of approach is direct. You have to be assertive and confident. You stand before people and you preach. But then secondly, there's the intellectual style of evangelism. We see this in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 11. If I could have that on the screen, I think I should read this one. I I didn't read it in the last session. Let me read it because I think it's going to be very true. Yeah. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them. Do you see that word, reasoned with them? Reasoned with them out of the scripture. Skip to verse 11. Verse 11. Verse 11. Oh, okay, let me read. Go, on verse, go to verse 3. You want me to? Oh, verse 11. Oh, ask his. Okay, okay. It says... These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and said the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So Paul sat down with people, reasoned with them, talked to them about the gospel. There's an intellectual approach by us wherein there are people who, you see, people are wired differently. There are people who may not respond to this style of evangelism. They don't. But they, they want to pick an issue with you whether, you know, Jesus is for white people Only. Or is the gospel relevant to an African? So what you need to do is to start engaging in, 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 in intellectual discourse with them and reason with them. It's, it's okay. Jesus did that. He went around reasoning with them. Paul reasoned with them. Some of you got, you know, you've, you are very, uh, uh, you are intellectuals, you know. You, you, you are very gifted and anointed in that space. And uh, there's, there's a number of people that I watch their podcasts, rather listen to their podcasts and watch their, them on YouTube. Uh, 
uh, who are incredible. They go and speak at universities and they gather with university students and, and they are there with their peers in the intellectual field and they reason out. Yeah. And you need to do that. Paul did that. So there's the intellectual style. The intellectual style is usually logical, analytical, and it's inquisitive. All right? But then we have, thirdly, the testimonial style. We talked about it the other week. John 9, verse 1, the woman at the well, after she was touched by the gospel, she went in, excuse me, no, 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 it's not the woman at the well, it's the blind man who was healed by Jesus. And I, I think his story is very compelling. I think we must read that story. I read it in the first service. I really had fun reading that story. Let's go there, John chapter 9. Now, the testimonial style is where you tell your own story. Now, know this, by his. Your story is your story. You, you understand what I'm saying? Your, your story is your story. Whether they believe it, whether they don't believe it, it mattereth not. It's your story. To tell your story, you don't need to know Hebrew, you don't need to know Greek, you don't even need to know a verse. You must just know what God has done. And nobody can deny what God has done in your life. Yeah, they may not like what you, the way you speak. They may not like whatever. But they can't deny there's a visible change in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So in John 9, uh, let, me, let me read. Uh, what did I say? Uh, verse 10. Okay. John 9, verse 10. Therefore say they unto the man whose eyes were opened. No, let's go back. Let me, let me look for it in my own Bible here and see where I'm going to start with this verse. Uh, John chapter 9, we started to go verse 10 more, but uh, let's go back. Okay, uh, it's all the way back to verse 1. Yeah. Okay, it says, and Jesus passed by, he saw a man which had been blind from birth. Do you see that by his His disciple asked him, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me whilst it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had spoken this way, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and anointed the man's eyes, the, the, the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to this man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, note, this guy, he, did, he was blind, okay? When Jesus did what he did, he was blind. So Jesus sends him away. He goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes his eyes. He comes back seeing. Now, note, Barcelona, because he never saw Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he's healed, Mara. He doesn't know who, who did this, this. Mara, he's healed. Because, you see, even when God is working in your life, you know what he has done. You may not have all the answers, Mara. You know what he has done. Right? Now, this is a very interesting story. Let's read it. Let's go further. It says there, uh, what verse do I want to put? Or verse 8. And the neighbors, therefore, they which were before seen him that he was blind, they said to him, is not this man who sat and begged? See, when Jesus comes into your life, ukupuli standards up. Oh! Jesus finds you as a beggar. See, once Jesus comes into your life, it means your life is about to go in a different direction altogether. But it also means this guy now has to learn a new way of living. He can't beg anymore because <laughs> hey. So he's the one who begged. Some said, no, he's like him. Curious, yeah, and he just looks like him. <laughs> but he said, Kinna, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How are your eyes open? Now we're getting into theology now. And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Solomon, wash. And I went, I washed. And I received my sight. <laughs> then they said, where is he? He said, and us. <laughs> no, he's there. Look at it. Is it verse 12? And us. <laughs> 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 
So they brought the Pharisees to him, the one who was blind before, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. You see, a religious, a religious spirit. It's, it's so funny the way people all of a sudden become religious when they want to argue with you about what God has done in your life. They, they didn't care about God all along, but all of a sudden now, amazing. So it says there, the Pharisees, they asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and came on. <laughs> you know, sometimes the way God works, it's so simple that it confuses people. <laughs> Is that all? They really can't believe it can be that easy. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, no, this man is not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. Others said, no, how can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? They're referring to Jesus. And so there was a division among them. And they sent to the blind man again, what are you saying of him? Are you saying he opened his eyes? And what's our words? Arya, he's a prophet. <laughs> the story is amazing. I mean, this guy, he's rubbing them the wrong way. They just don't like it. But see, they, 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 they can't do anything with the fact that God has touched him. How, how are they changing it? God, God's touched you. So what? So what? Whether it was Sunday, Monday, so what? Yeah, whether it was on a train, in a bus, so what? Come on now. Whether there was a priest or not, so what? God has touched your life. Can I hear an amen? God has touched your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, this brother. Uh, <laughs> then they said unto him in verse 26, what did, what did he do for you? How did he open your eyes? You see now they are getting into other stuff here. And the guy said, I've told you already. And <laughs> Mamel. You want to hear it again? up. Will you also become his disciples, Uncle Lebel? <laughs> Can I hear an amen? amen? But let's go back to verse 24. They called again this man who was blind and said, Give God the praise. You know, people, Baba, Baba religious, yeah. Yeah. You know, have you ever heard that? Yeah, all of a sudden they become religious. No, 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 no. Mother, they must tell the story. They said to him, give God the praise. Ah, this brother. What verse am I on? 24. Verse 25, he answered and said, whether this man is a sinner or is not a sinner. There's one thing in Nakitaba. There's one thing I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, you can argue with me, you can say anything, there's one thing I know. I, I don't know anything about Sabbath, I don't know anything about that. Is there somebody here who knows what God has done for them? I know, I know, I know, you can question it, it's okay, but I know, I know, I know! There's one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. this guy. He is not engaging in everything else he doesn't know. It's fine. It's fine. Maroxalayons in the sea we Yeah. God's changed my life. There's a lot that you know about God. A lot that God has done for you. A lot that you can tell other people. It's a testimony. What you did last week, it's a testimony. I said it's a testimony. So it's the testimonial style. So the testimonial style, it's simply just being a storyteller. You just communicate clearly and it doesn't matter what language you use. Number four, the interpersonal style. In Luke chapter 5, 29, it talks about a man who made a feast and invited his friends. So sometimes you can use events like get-togethers, bring people together. We used to, uh, I used to hear Bishop Doug talk about this uh, how the young people there in Ghana would organize a party. You know young people like partying. So they organize a party and invite their friends. Hey, we're going to have a party Friday night. Yeah. 
And all the young people would get to the party, but this party was organized by Christian people. <laughs> there was no alcohol. And it was only gospel music. So, so the, guy, the young people come there, they know it's a party, Mara. they are surprised to remember why gospel music? And why there's no alcohol? And, but they would really make it fun and they would play and sing and everything and finally they would then win them to the Lord. There's many ways, Barcelona. Many ways. Sometimes we are, I think we, we, we just don't ever apply ourselves enough. So there's this one that we call the interpersonal style and then you have... Uh, the invitational style. The invitational style is uh, wherein the woman at the well, John 4, after she was saved, she says, come and see a man. This is where you invite somebody to the place. You invite them to church. You, you come with them. You, you, you. And the invitational style is persuasive. It's relational. It's also hospitable. But then you have the serving style, number six. In Acts 9.39, we read about a woman by the name of Dorcas who had done so much good in the community that when she died, the entire community came to a standstill and they were mourning for her because she had touched the lives of so many people. There are some of you who God's just gifted you to be kind people. You are hospitable people, you know. You care for others. And your way of preaching the gospel is through good deeds. And you care for them. You care for them. Just hospitable. But that's another style. Now note by Yesune, in all this style, direct preaching, intellectual style, testimonial style, interpersonal style, invitational style, saving style, I'm sure there's one of those that's your style. Oftentimes it's more than just one. Everybody can do something there. Can I hear a good amen? Now let's come to the watering part. How then do we water the seed? Well, after the people have been saved, after they have received Christ as Savior and Lord, we need to do the following things, three of them. Number one, strengthen the new believers through your prayers. All right? Luke 22, 32. And then Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. And if you don't mind, you can check also Colossians 1, Philippians 1. There are prayers that Paul prayed for the new believers. Pray those prayers over those people. You know? Pray those prayers over those people. They are new converts. They are born again. Put them on a prayer list and pray for them. You know, you know some of us Christians, we don't, even, we don't even have one person on our prayer list. Not one. We're not even praying for one person to be saved or one person to grow. One person, you know, the only one person there is you. <laughs> yeah. It's God, me, myself, and I. That's all. You know. But we should have them on our prayer list. Secondly, Follow them up by teaching them God's word. Acts 18, verse 22, and 1 Peter 2, 2. Acts 18, 22, and 1 Peter 2, 2. Follow them up by teaching them God's word. Take the time to follow them up. Sit down with them. Teach them God's word. You know, go through that. You know, young, new converts have millions of questions. They've got lots of things they're struggling with. Many things, many questions. And they're dealing with a lot of problems. Lots. So be there. What are you doing? You are watering the seed. Thirdly, disciple them by walking with them. Walk with them until they get established. Note, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3, 6, the verse we started with. And I want to read it from verse 6 to verse 8. Paul says, I've planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but it's God that gives the increase. Now note, now he that plants and he that waters are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Listen by yourself. There comes a day when every one of us is going to account before God. Yeah. And God will want to know. Did you sign on? I invited you to be a laborer with me. What did you do with it? Yeah? What did you do with it? You know, during the week on, on Wednesday, in the morning prayer at 5 o'clock, I mentioned two people that 
I had followed up years ago. Cynthia Mabizela, she has a different surname now because she's married. And Ruben Moshatan. And I mentioned them to say these are the two people, by God's grace, I remember they were young converts and I played a role somehow in helping them grow in the things of God. Little did I know that uh, Ruben Moshatane had logged onto our prayer platform. I haven't seen him for years. And he sent an email on Thursday. It was copied to me, and I read it on Friday. And I broke down and cried. I, I had, to be honest with you, I, I was not expecting that. And then I, then I looked for his number and got his number. He had left his number at my office and with my office, and I phoned him. And I said, Ruben, how are you? He said, no, I'm good, Bishop. Whew, my goodness. And, and I said, look, we're in the middle of a series at our church. I'm teaching about church growth, and I'm teaching about winning people. And somehow this Sunday, I'm talking about planting and watering. How you wrote your email, can I read it to the congregation? Is it okay? Are you fine with that? He said, please, please, please go ahead. They need to hear this. And I'll tell you why I'm reading it. I wasn't a pastor when, I, when this happened. I wasn't leading a church. See, some of you, when you're listening to what we're saying, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, Mariana Kimurut is the bishop. I wasn't always a bishop. I wasn't even expecting to be a bishop. I was a born-again child of God, church-going member, just like you. Only thing that rang in my heart I want to be a laborer with God. So let me read you this email. It's a very long one. I can't read all of it. But I think I'll read some parts that, are, that really move my heart. Good afternoon, Bishop. First of all, I'd like to thank God for your, your staff, for being kind, down to earth, and able to listen, and very cooperative to my call from the receptionist to your PA. I felt humbled and did drop a few tears to my amazement when I heard you mentioning my name this morning in your prayer session. You as a busy person and interacting with so many millions of people and you just thought of me. I never knew how I could thank God. That was like a miracle to me, Bishop. I'm still shocked and amazed. I can't say you made my day, but I'll say you made my million years. When I met you the first time, it was in 1981. Yeah. 1981? I was 20 years old. How many 20-year-olds do we have here? Can you stand? 20-year-olds? I know we have a youth service, some youth at that side, but uh, we have a few. Just stand, just stand. Can you stand 20-year-olds? You don't mind joining me on stage, ne? do you? Tayang. Come join me. Come stand with me. Help me preach this sermon, please. My goodness, man. Wow. Wow. Come stand right here. Right here. Come stand right here. I didn't think we would have this many in this service because we have a youth service that side. So there's other 20-year-olds, Kakwale, and other 20-year-olds here. But does it mean I used to look this pretty and this handsome? I used to have hair like him. I used to smile like her. Did you? Oh, my goodness. You can, yeah, like I cannot come around. I love this. Do you, do you guys realize how much God can use you? Eh? I was your age. I can't believe I used to be your age. Hey, eh? God can come. I'm reading an email here. Yeah. I'm reading this email. 1981. 
1981. Listen, he says, when I met you the first time, it was in 1981 at the late Reverend Robert Tlachoyo's house in Pimville during his birthday party. Mama Tlachoyo was here in the first session, you know. And then he says, it was him, his family at the Rema Training College students, then Pastor Eric Baloi from Guyane was also there, and the other young pastor from Zambia, but they were students then. When I met you, I was from the Assemblies of God, AFM, Full Gospel, and SCM Doctrine. I was born again in 1977. Now, you, you guys don't know anything about that. <laughs> but when you said to me, I felt like I'm being born again, again. You taught me new things, which I never heard then. You shared with me. And the point that we even got to a point where we forgot about the party. <laughs> Remember, we were at the party there. The more I received, the more the anointing was flowing through you. Then we became connected. And then I asked you if you will be willing if I can come to your place once a week after working hours. This guy used to visit me at my home. Yeah, every Wednesday. He would come. I wasn't a pastor. Like you, I wasn't a pastor. I was a young person like you. I'm just saying, God can use you. Yeah. Now, if you don't believe in you, I believe in you. You see you see, I, I believe God can use you. It doesn't take any special anything. At this stage, I was, uh, I was studying at Rema, first year, because uh, uh, I'd been to another Bible school and I went to another school. Note what he says. He says, I then asked you if you were willing, if I can come to your place once a week after hours and uh, to teach me the word. And you gladly agreed. And I came there every Wednesday at Moralo Street. The way you taught me, I couldn't get used to your teachings. Eh? So some of you carry a teaching anointing. Don't you think you can? Don't you think you have a teaching anointing, my girl? Probably. <laughs> Probably she wants to be on the safe side. Yeah. And you know, he is, he, is, he is older than me. Yeah, I think he's five years older than me. Yeah, yeah. You can lead people older than you. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah. There's something about God's hand on your life that's different. Something about it. Something about it when you allow God to use you as a vessel. There's no telling what he can do. You don't need to be pastors and bishops. This, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a bishop. You understand? I was trying to be a bishop. <laughs> then he says, I must read this last part. You supplied me with a lot of books then that you were reading. And I'd always bring them back. And he's right, he would bring my books back. Some of you, you don't bring my books back. <laughs> then he says, you even gave me audio material, cassettes, books by Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Gloria Copeland, T.L. Osborne, E.W. Kenyon, Jerry Savelle, Novel Hayes, Charles Kelps, Roy Hicks, Fred Price, Ray McCauley, Tim Story, Casey Treat, and many more. You guys must read. <laughs> nah? You must read broadly and, and challenge yourself. There's a lot you have in you that you haven't explored as yet. There's a lot that's coming in your future. See, I didn't know at that time, God was preparing me that one day I'll be talking to young people like you. Yeah. Yeah? Just the one young person, right? And I don't know what God has in store for you. And I can tell you why Kilibiti said today, it must be God knew that you're going to be in the service today. Yeah? Huh? Must be that. You know, my love and my passion for you, to say to you, you don't have to go the way of the world. You don't have to follow in the footsteps of others. It's possible to live for God. Yeah. You know, people think runaka nakaruna things were not hard. Hey, it's always hard for a young person, you. <laughs> and I'm just a fool. I was just a full young person like you with all the testosterone fall flowing through my body <laughs> and everything forward. <laughs> so like you, that's everything. That's the worst. You know, yeah, you, you just have to decide to live the life and give your all to God. Because I can tell you, 40 years later, 40 years later, you'll be standing on a platform just like me and doing something for God. Amen. 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 And so, Bazalana, as I close, just remain here, I'm going to pray for all of you. As I close, Bazalana, I, I said to myself, you know, God, you know what my wish is, God? That the day I stand before you, there'll be this kind of report in heaven about my life. Yeah. Because we are here on earth on borrowed time 
and who are here on earth as men and women on assignment. You are here to influence the lives of younger people. You do know about the service school, you know, Good Friday, nice Saturday. You're going to bring all your friends, eh? Bring all of them, okay? You must bring all of them. Can you stretch your hands towards these young people, please, as I pray for them? Stretch, yeah, you stretch your hands to God and the congregation stretch their hands towards you. Lord, I, oftentimes when I talk about young people, I feel led to do this. And I ask them to stand on this stage believing that there's anointing that's on my life. On this stage will be on their lives. I, they, they have different desires and paths that they want to follow. And my prayer is that they will, they will follow your path, God, of loving you and serving you. Pray that their hearts will burn with love for you. I pray that their lives will be committed to you. I pray that you'll protect them, build a hedge around them, these young Innocent lives. Build a cocoon around them. But I know, God, that you don't necessarily separate us from this world we live in. We have to live in it and figure our way through it in, in lifestyles that we live. I pray for every one of them. I pray today that your blessing will be on them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the music group to come. I want to shake everyone. I want to shake your hands, ne? every one of you. Ne? I'm shaking your hands and I'm praying God's blessings over your lives, okay? Bless you, young man. All right, sure. Bless you, my girl. Thank you so much. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Now, those of you who have been invited today, maybe this is your first day. It might not be your first day, but as yet you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord. As I was, talk about, I was talking about the, the preciousness of the soul of a person. As you are sitting there listening to God's word, you realize, you know what? My life is not in the right space. My life is not right before God. I really need to change. I need to invite Christ into my life to be Savior and Lord of my life. I want to pray for you. It would be a great mistake if we close this service without giving you an opportunity. Jesus changes those who willfully come to him and take that step on their own accord. Say, Lord, I want to invite you in my life. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. If you are there and you say, please pray for me, I want to invite Christ in my life. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it high so that I can see. Just raise it way high. Let me see it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just raise those hands all over the place. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to pray for every one of you who's raised their hand. Can I ask you, please, would you please just come from where you're standing? Take all your belongings. Don't leave your belongings behind. And just walk all the way to the front and stand here in front of the stage facing me so that we can pray together. Give them a hand as they walk. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give them a big hand. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you. Thanks, my God. 